It's, it's a huge pleasure for me to bring another episode of the Value Nigeria podcast to everybody listening. Um, it's our first episode for the year, so Happy New Year to everybody. Um, we should have brought an episode before now, but we've had technical issues, which is just why we've delayed things until now. Hope the new year started on a bright note. How is everybody, your jobs, family, and your investing? Um as is our usual practice, um, we've been bringing guests, people who are knowledgeable, people who know about um, investing, particularly in the Nigerian sphere, and they've been giving us various insights. And along that same line, we are honored to have a very wonderful guest uh, this evening. It's somebody that I'm very pleased to have this conversation with. Um, reaching out to him was very smooth, and uh, just like that, we had, we've clicked and we've had a great um conversation leading up to this um, recording today. Uh, my guest today is an expert in the, in, he wears many hats, let me put it that way. I'm just going to share a little bit of some insights about his educational background and hopefully he can tell us more. Um, so he, my guest has a BSc in economics, um, which he got from the Obafemi Awolowo University. He's also a member of the Chartered Institute of Taxation of Nigeria and also the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Nigeria. Um, he's not just a BSc holder, he's actually a first-class degree holder in economics. Um, we'll get to see the side of his academic excellence even as we talk further. Um, he also holds an MBA, that's a Master's in Business Administration from the Edinburgh um, Business School. Um, by way of his um, professional experience, he's worked far and wide in various roles, even in the oil and gas sector. Um, in in finance, in various rules. I'm not just going to go into everything because his resume is um, almost 13 pages long. <laughs> um, he's the founder of um, Jaros Hub Careers. Um, it's a very popular, I, I know I've given away my guest already just by mentioning that, uh, but at present, my guest works as the, a senior manager, even with PricewaterCoopers Nigeria. Um it's a huge pleasure. I know I've not done justice to, to your resume, but you'll tell us a little more about that. But it's a huge pleasure even to have Mr. Suraj Oyewale even on the show this evening. Um, good evening, Mr. Oyewale. Do you just want to say hello to listeners of the podcast, sir? Hi, good evening, Doctor. Uh, it's a pleasure being your guest uh, today. Um, I mean, flattering uh, introduction you've made about me there. And I'm sure as we progress, you know, I'm going to speak more about my fame, my experience, and other things I think your uh, listeners will find you know, quite interesting. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Believe me, uh, that, that is the most watered-down version of your profile that I've just read. If, if I were to go into details, it would probably be much more, much longer and much more robust than that. Um, uh, Mr. Oyewali, we'll be talking this evening just about the the downstream sector of the Nigerian oil and gas um, industry. We'll be talking about um, how the PIA, the Petroleum Industry Act, which was recently um, enacted by the government, how that influences that sectors and how investors can position even for the hopeful boom that is coming to that sector. But before we do, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background, maybe your your 
professional background, your educational background, and then your personal background, sir? Yeah, uh, thanks so much, uh, Doctor. Once again, um, I'm going to start with my personal background. You know, I was born in Opakwara State in 1982, uh, from Elizabeth forty about 40 years ago. I had my education in Opa, of secondary school level, uh, where I was fortunate, you know, to graduate. Um, you know, as the second best student in my secondary school in uh, year 2000, I proceeded to Oba Premier Law University, like I said. Uh, you know, fortunate to make a first class in economics. And, um, yeah, my personal background, you know, I'm from a quiet, you know, a polygamous home, you know, um, good caring family, uh, supportive family, which I'm, you know, eternally grateful for. And, you know, growing up in, in, in an environment like Opa, which is, you know, uh, some sort of semi-urban environment, semi-urban in the past in the sense that it's not, you know, it's not a village. It's not, you know, somewhere where everybody goes to farm. It, you know, it's really modern society, but not a city, not, not, not like a state capital or a city. So I like to call it semin urban. It's out of features of urban and it's out of features of, you know, a non-urban environment. And, um, you know, having, having been raised in such an environment was a privilege to me, you know, the values of life, the values of family, you know, religion, and all of these things were, you know, were imbibed on us. A white growing hope, you know, even as we see how people look forward to. Uh, that's my personal background. Uh, my professional background, uh, I've worked, you know, for more than 14 years. Uh, by me, I would have spent 15 years working for NYC. Out of those 15 years, I spent 14 on the doors in the online gas industry, uh, four years in Wando, uh, between 2008 2012. And then after I moved to, I moved to uh, Semo Energy in 2012 May. And, uh, you know, I grew, you know, within Semo Energy as a accountant to become tax manager. And uh, when, you know, a company called um, you know, Savoy Energy, British Independent Oil and Gas Company, acquired some, you know, some assets, you know, um, of Semo Energy, of some of Semo Energy subsidiaries, you know. Um, I was transferred to Savoy Energy as a tax manager for Nigeria and, you know, shortly before my departure um, in Savannah, I was, you know, in three of supply chain and uh, I took Savannah Energy, you know, May last year after 10 years. I mean, seven Savannah Energy 10 years together and um, I'm currently with one of the big four professional services firms, you know, services of consulting, you know, and uh, I joined as a senior manager from uh, time last year, like nine months ago, I think, you know, I mean, like eight months ago. It's been an interesting professional journey, and I'm excited and I'm happy for the little, you know, how far I've come. And, um, you know, it's always interesting to share my experience. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much for, for sharing, uh, for shedding some light into your personal background. Just It just helps us see things better from your perspective. Um, bef- before we take this discussion any further, um, you've called yourself the accidental accountant. And I'm driving at a point. You talked about the fact that, you know, though you did economics, you found yourself in accountancy. And in your book, when you, you described that, you talked about scoring a B in accounting, uh, accounting in WAEC. And that was a downside or that was a proof to yourself that maybe um, you are not a core accountant at heart. That just tells me something about your drive, about academic excellence. 
if scoring a B, and we know a, a B in Wayek probably ranges between, um, off the top of my head now, say maybe between 65 and 70 thereabouts. I'm not too sure about the exact numbers, but if that's a B, somebody else was... Yeah, B3 is 65 to 70, B3 is 70 to 79. Ooh. A1 starts from A2. Um, I did B3 my Wayek, which was, you know, something with, I mean, within the range of 70 to 79. So, so if if you you see a score of seventy seventy nine that another person will get and rejoice, and you see that as showing that probably you are not called to be an, in that field, that tells me something about your academic excellence. Um, or you you've been a scholar, you know, a, a bright scholar through your secondary school, gaining awards even in ICANN, you gained quite awards in in your undergraduate years. You you graduated with a first class. Was this a conscious decision of yours to make the most of your academics uh, or to be the best? Or was it just something that came natural to you? Uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, let me start with the fact about being an accidental accountant. Like I, I call myself an accidental accountant. And that's because I never really liked accounting. And I had an experience which made me to not like accounting. I initially was a science student in my SS1, you know, um, 1997, September to... Uh, December first time SS1, and uh, I mean I just didn't like I did mathematics and I just felt you know most of the people I look forward to when you know I, I mean no science um, you know their background was not in science and I thought I should move to commercial side. So we had it we had it I mean so in my first time in the in the commercial side which was second time SS SS1 okay you know programmer two uh, there was a teacher. Uh, Miss AZ Copper, you know, a, a, com- a co member who came to, you know, was present to our school and she was teaching me. I was understanding some of these things she was teaching in that first time. So after she finished her NYC, you know, she moved. She, I mean, she, of course, she had to leave the school. And we had a permanent teacher. I will not mention the name of the teacher because it has to be respect for him. I will not mention the name of the teacher who would just come to class and just, you know, write on the board and, and, I kind of like mathematics where you need to explain the principle. You need to understand the principle. Not just writing. On like other subjects, you probably just have to write the notes and, you know, read the notes and understand. But you probably need to write, understand the principles behind what, you know, the steps, okay? Uh, but this child will just come to class and, you know, we just put everything on the board and you have to just write it. You know, I mean, a permanent teacher. Unfortunately, I became, I, I now had issues trying to understand this. They never liked it. So the, few le- the small likeness I had for it when the copper was sitting out evaporated and I just lost two time interest in, you know, accounting, you know, but I still needed to pass my exams. I was still, you know, reading it, finding a way to pass and all of that. But I never really liked it. I was always hoping that the theory part, you know, came out in the, came out in the exam. So the theory part, like, you know, I mean, because accounting had, accounting secondary school, I mean, of course, as both accounting, you know, the calculation part and theory part, always hoping that the theory part comes out, you know. Some I was still able to pass, I mean, because, it, it, you know, it's a matter of just reading, because I was an approved student anyway, so, I mean, whatever course, whatever subject I was doing, I was uh, almost always going to pass anyway. So, I see, I, I had a bit in WAEC, you know, and I did, I think, between the fields that I wrote in SS2. So, I, I never liked it. In my university, I still never liked it. You know, I studied economics, some of my classmates were writing I can then, I said I was never going to go near ICANN. I was never going to go to, you know, we also had opportunity to go and bowl courses in accounting department. Even as an economic student, I chose not to go to, you know, accounting because I just did not want to have anything to do with accounting. 
that experience, you know, from secondary school was still haunting me. And I said, I was never going to have anything to do with that kind of thing. So let me do my economics. I was so good in economics. I was, you know, a good storyteller, you know, a small analyst. And you know, I felt like I was more comfortable with economics at the time. So um, I just wanted to avoid that kind of by all means, except where it was composed like, you know, work. So in my mind, why when I was serving in Sokoto, I felt like, you know, I, will, I, do, I like to be in academic fire. I like to have an exam coming. I like to have a for exam. And I realized that, you know, during my one-year service, I was just teaching in a public family school. And after, like, you know, one hour of class, I was done for the day. And I wasn't used to the, you know, just not doing anything. I now called my brother, Mr. Akimo, you are in Lagos. I, I wanted to register for ICAN just to keep myself busy. Okay, this is ICAN, which is the ICAN question exam in Nigeria. To keep myself busy. So he, he registered me in a Butemeta office. He sent materials to me in Sokoto, where I was serving. did everything for me. I prepared, I mean, like, I, even though I didn't like it, but I just wanted to just write the exam to keep myself busy because that was the only thing I could, I could do. I could think of, you know. So that was, I wrote the exam. I prepared. I didn't go to any class. I was just preparing everything, you know, in Sokoto, everything. I wrote the exam. And guess what? When the results came out, you know, I, I mean, I, wrote, the, I wrote first subject, I think, three, three, three subjects. I won the first prize in Nigeria and two of the three subjects, and also came first in Nigeria in the you know in that in that exam, in that financial exam. So I still never liked it anyway, but I was still always passing it anytime I did it. Now, when I go back from NYC in two thousand eight, okay, um, there was a vacancy in Nwando for the role of six assistant accountant. You know, my CV was submitted. I went to write the test. I passed. You know, I did the interview. You know, you know they saw my CV that I, I won. I can I won. I can prize. The last night I wrote for the first stage, you know, I, I did. And the fact, oh, this guy must be good in accounting. That's the question I got it and all of that. And that was how I was offered an accounting rule. Because of that ICANN exam, I wrote during my NYC. And because they saw, you know, that I was writing like and I was passing, I was even winning prizes. And the fact I could do that accounting job. And that was how I ended up, my first job being an accounting job. When I never thought of, you know, being an accountant. I said this in secondary school. I said this in university. During my university days, during my NYS, I decided to write ICANN just while away time. But here I was after my NYC, the first job I came was an accounting job. And thankfully, the ICANN I wrote, you know, I was writing and passing was enough. It was five stages anyway, but I finished the two stages, two stages, so I saw five stages at the time, you know, I finished my NYS. And that was how they gave me the job. That was how my first job happened to be, not in a road that required me to use my economics that I studied in school. But I can't think that I had run away from until I did, you know, I decided to, you know, write the professional exam in, uh, in, 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 uh, in, you know, in Sokoto during my NYC years. Of course, I passed in, after two years, you know, I completed the ICANN exam, uh, you know, five stages, and I became a chartered accountant. All my role in Rwanda was a accountant, a accountant. And all my career, you know, up till the time I left, you know, during the industry last year, even I still do have some accounting. Has been some, has been accounting. So, so that's why I call myself an accountant. accountant. I never, for the life of me, thought I was going to be one. I never liked it. But the first job I got happened to be an accounting role because I was writing an account, accounting exam, you know, and passing. And for 14 years in the gas industry, I was doing accounting. I was, because tax is also a subset of accounting anyway. So I was doing tax, 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 the marriage of law and accounting. So, you know, so I was doing some transition accounting and all of that. So I call myself an accountant, but not really an accountant that thought out to be an accountant, but one that became an accountant by accident. 
So that's my story and my journey to you know accounting, which was accidental. Right. Um, I, I'm just going to distill that into one lesson, something that struck me as you spoke, and that's the fact that we may consider certain aspects or certain areas of our lives as a disadvantage or maybe something that we feel we are not good at, maybe a weakness. And um, what struck me is that we shouldn't give up on those weaknesses. We should work on ourselves in those areas. And an area that you felt you were not good at eventually turned out to be um, possibly your... My brain. Exactly. That's like that's what I've my exactly. Okay. You know, I, mean, I, probably, I possibly may not have found a role that required economic degree and you know so it was that kind that gave me a leg in the and gas industry you know so something I never liked I mean something I never liked but I still stretch myself to say okay let me just do it to keep myself busy and it turned out to be something you know that got me a job that paid my B for 14 years Perfect. thank you alright alright I hope somebody listening somewhere is um, taking notes of all this and making necessary adjustments Um, I, I'm just going to dive right into the core of our discussion Um, so You've worked in various roles within the oil and gas industry, the upstream sector, the midstream, the downstream. Um, can you just give us an overview? Our discussion is focusing on the downstream sector. Can you just give us an overview of the downstream sector in Nigeria? Um, like, What does it actually mean when we say downstream? Who are the major players and what are the products that are you know, being sold or the services rendered in that sector, sir? Okay, thanks uh, so much, doctors. Again, um, I mean, before I, you know, narrow down to that, I think it's quite important for me to also, um, you know, just touch briefly on upstream and midstream, so that it starts to put a good context to to that to the downstream that I meant to discuss in greater detail. And when we talk about oil and gas industry, you know, it's not the crude oil that is in the soil that you use to cook, that you use to power your, you know, that you use to power your generator. That you use to, you know, you know, for your car, you know, so so something has to be done to convert these resources inside the inside the earth, underneath water, okay, into form that can be used by everybody. So it's a change from the um right from where that resources are, okay, to where it can be used on a mass scale. The entire stream. That's the, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the stream. So the processes of, you know, getting the resources, going down into the, you know, into the earth or water to get the oil, okay, the crude oil or crude gas from the earth, okay, from the reservoir, from the reserve, is called upstream. Exploring and producing, exploration and producing the crude oil or the crude gas, that's upstream, okay? Missing this with processing, you know, as infrastructure and sometimes even transportation. So, mystery, we find it a mystery, you know, business because we find it turns crude oil into white products, fair products, you know, and other products, a lot of products, you know, that we get. Okay, that is the mystery, the middle guy, the middle man, the guy that turns it from the, you know, from, uh, you know, from the raw form into form that can be used on the mass scale, okay? Mm-hmm. So refinery is a midstream, even though sometimes midstream gets classified as part of downstream. So in some jurisdictions that are even called refining as downstream, okay? But strictly speaking, refining is also mid- midstream. The gas process is also a midstream activity, okay? Mm-hmm. 
that process involves totally, you know, the the the, the good gas that comes from the from the soil, from the from the ground, from the heart, or underneath water. Okay, turn it into form that can be used, maybe by industrial usage or commercial usage or power generation or even convert it to another form that you know that is missing activities surrounding processing of gas or activities surrounding processing of oil. That is missing. Now, dancing now this with marketing and distribution on larger scale, okay? All these first patients you see around, all these, you know, these are, these are guys that sell products. They don't sell products. What they sell are the products, okay? The end product of these activities, the process, the process of distribution and marketing them, okay, is called downstream. Finish stations, you know, gas plants, um, you know, gas distribution plants, you know, even sometimes transportation of crude products, even buying and selling of crude is also classified as, as downstream, okay? So, buying and selling of crude, not processing, just buying and selling it, exporting and importing it, so buying and trade, that's also classified as midstream. So, midstream deals with product distribution and marketing, okay? So, that's broadly what midstream is. So, when you say filling station in Nigeria, you know that that's downstream, sorry, downstream, that's downstream, right? Yes. When you see, you know, a filling station that's downstream, when you see a I mean, a roadside gas distribution plant, that's downstream, okay? Yes. So, filling stations, you know, bulk plants, storage, terminal, importing, exporting, you know, of the product, okay, are downstream activities, okay? So, that's essentially what downstream is about. And also, there are players like, you know, all the, all the, the big guys in the, in the, you know, the big guys. So, some, some companies, some, some, some group of companies are actually integrated there are businesses across upstream, midstream, and downstream. For example, NMPT is integrated because NMPT has upstream, that's midstream, and finally it has downstream, the retailing business, okay? And the supply and trade business. So such companies are called integrated on a gas company, okay? But for, the, for, for our purposes, companies that have filling stations, that filling station business is downstream, okay? Yeah. So, companies that supply, that do supply and trading, that buy and that import and export, you know, could, you know, as a service or as a as a product, not producing it themselves, okay? You know, they are also downstream. So that's what downstream is about. Thank you. Perfect, perfect. Thank you very, very much. I actually did not know most of the or many of the things that you you've educated us on, us on this um, evening. Thank you very much for that. Now, um, from from your experience and from from your years in that industry, uh, what are the th- Factors or what are the downsides or what are the things that plague the downstream sector? What affects? What are the factors that you know negatively affect or positively impact on that sector? I mean, so it's, it's possibly important for me. To, it's probably important for me to you know to to drop a disclaimer at this point that our matters of analysis, matters of you know most of what I've been doing so far, are more by you know explaining, analyzing, and all of that. Yeah. So matters of opinions on you know problems, um, you know, challenges on, you know, what is being done right, what can be done. They are my personal opinion. You know, they are not, you know, the, the views, they're not necessarily the views of my employers, you know, or, or my other affiliations. So my affiliations, so that's strictly my own personal view. Okay, so I just need to make, you know, that, 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 that caveat so that the, any view I'm saying here is, uh, is you know, taking to be my personal view, you know, as someone that has, you know, spend many years in the industry. Do, do okay. You know that, sir. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. 
Yeah, I mean, so that team is a very, is a, I would say it's a, it's a quite rough, you know, terrain. It takes a lot of, you know, uh, God for you to, I mean, for you to go into it. The quite rough terrain. So, um, I would say, you know, one of the issues is subsidy, mm. uh, because the product, uh, maybe fully of, I mean, part, I mean, used to be fully into regulated and now, uh, the, most of the product, the main product, let me say PMS, this is not, this is not regulated, so I won't say this. But the main product, which is PMS, which is the product that's used at the ledger scale, you know, virtually every household in Nigeria uses, um, uses petrol, you know, apart from maybe the ice metal guys who don't use, you know, I, I, even though they use cars anyway. So virtually everyone in Nigeria uses, uh, PMS, petroleum, premium, premium motor spirit, which is for petrol, um, yeah. I mean, so, something is, is an issue because, you know, so let me let me not say subsidy, let me say regulation. So you are forced to sell at a point, at a price. Mm-hmm. You know, the government tell you they pay you the you know the differential, okay? You are not, you know, allowed to sell at the market price. You know. The government says you know, sell at the price, then anything above that, you know, we're gonna pay you. We're gonna pay you in the difference between market price and the price you have decreed that you should pay. That differential is called subsidy. Okay, even do you know it happens at the point of importation. So, um, so that's a major issue because generally, generally, where, where products, where you don't have the freedom to fix prices for your product, it's a little bit, you know, challenging and, you know, it's some, some sort of, that could affect your, that could discourage you from investing or, you know, or not putting your best, you know, your best capital, allocating your best capital to it. You know, you have to rely on government subsidy, you know, to, to make up for the difference, and that doesn't always cut come exactly in this month all the time. And many players are part to, you know, cut corners, they part to just force themselves to make some money, you know, to do some margin, which is not, you know, which is not right, which is unhealthy. Okay, by, you know, adjusting ministers, you know, going to sell at African and Nigeria jurisdiction, neighboring countries where the prices are not regulated, you know. So these are the issues that, that I mean, that really, uh, but that dancing. Then the other issue is also um, maybe infrastructure is also very important. Okay, um, you know the because of poor railway system, you know most of them have to transport their products using tankers, using trailers, you know across the country. Bad roads, security, all of these things. You know, these are huge investment. Security risk. You pay a lot of you know things on distribution system is just it's just I mean it's just you know, can be problematic. That's another issue with the dancing sector. So generally, it's, it's, it's a rough terrain, I, I must tell you, it's a rough terrain. And, um, I mean, all like upstream where you sell crude or you just have an international market, you just sell international market, you know, but here, you sell locally, you, you know, you deal with a lot of factors, you know, we have many more staff, possibly more staff than upstream guys because you have finish stations, you have, so it's really a, a quite problematic terrain, and these are some of the challenges that I think we face the sector. All right, thank you very much, sir. Um, recently we saw the the enacting of the PIA, the Petroleum Industry Act, and um, it, it was hailed as a as a step in the right direction that addresses a, a couple of the issues, even ranging from upstream, midstream, downstream to NNPC and quite a few things. But uh, if we don't mind just focusing on the downstream sector, how does the PIA that has recently been put into law, how does that address the biggest or the biggest white elephant in the room, which is um, the issue of subsidy? How does the PIA address that problem and what are the hopes for the future? I think so much once again. 
so PIA, uh, in fairness, you know, um, does well in trying to address it. So it has a provision that, you know, that says that, uh, you know, that more or less regulates the prices of products, you know, that give, you know, um, players opportunity to fix prices, to put prices that reflect the market uh, condition. And that we more or less, you know, deregulate the sector. Uh, however, uh, the government sometime um, early last year, you know, the PI was passed on 16th August 2021 anyway. Uh, so a few months after the passage, the government, you know, uh, looked at the practical implications of implementing that provision and uh, was suspended. So that 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 that, that provision has not really been, you know, been been, been given forth, you know. Uh, it's not it's not it's not, it's not enforced yet. So um, and of course, they are looking at the political economy of doing that because something is a very, very critical issue. It's a very, very sensitive issue. And um, I mean, the, the prices of products with balloon, the short run, and uh, you know, that that's probably enough to you know to 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 follow the government. And uh, even though even though despite the fact that uh, the government have been have been it, it, it's a white and the government have been behind the burden, you know, the prices they are fixing. You know, go way beyond the you know the the, the market price because of double warming of you know increasing prices of crude oil as well as you know FX issue. That means that landing cost in Nigeria of those products. Don't forget that the products that we you know the products come from abroad, and uh, so the government looked at the practical you know the practicality of enforcing that provision of the of the PIA, and they said you know what let this one stay. Uh, for now, so the PIA on paper uh, attempts to resolve that issue. I mean, by you know removing you know by by, by deregulating you know the the products that are not yet deregulated. But uh, the government looked at the practicality and said, you know what, let this one wait for now. Let this one wait for now. Um, and I mean, let's just let's just move ahead and you know. So the government have not really you know that you know dictating the prices. Of, of products, you know, take a comment and the same price of products, and um, you know, which is which is you know not exactly what the PIA requires. Mm. So I mean, so that's the state of things as we speak now. The government are trying to look at, you know, try to weigh the um, the economic cost, you know, the, the general social cost of that decision, uh, you know, versus the letter of the law. So that balance is being is being created by them yet. At some point, I mean, you just have to go that route, and um, there will be a lot of, you know, groaning, a lot of, you know, um, noise here and there, which is understandable given the fact that people don't trust, the people may not trust government on the uh, investment of that, you know, the subsidy, you know, but it's really, it's really a, a big burden on government at the moment. So, so critical that, so bad that even, and because NMPC is, the, you know, I think the main or the sole exporter or importer of the products now, and then it's also the one that says the you know Nigeria's crude oil on behalf of government, right? Yeah. So because the, that so the, so so that that differential that that differential that subsidy that differential subsidy in quotes, you know, from you know selling the product to the you know to the to the local distributors within Nigeria, okay, yeah. at prices dictated by at prices that are lower than the market price price of you know bringing them into the country and getting them into distributable conditions. That that differential. Yeah. You got that because that's where that means government is going to have that money, right? Yeah. 
they're also meant to give money to government by way of, you know, um, remittances from crude oil seeds. So they have had to be deducting that subsidy from what they're meant, what the government is meant to give them from what they're meant to give government by way of, you know, selling the government share of the crude oil. And the subsidy, the amount is so, that they, they are taking so critical that for some months, it's even higher than the amount they are meant to give to government. And then they was not able to remit money to government at some point, you know, so, so for some months. So that's how bleeding, that's how critical, you know, this subsidy is now. And it's just, it's just, it's just bleeding the government. And, you know, it, it's a big issue the government is grappling with and the people, also, everybody's grappling with it. Um, I, I think this our discussion has come at a very timely point because um, gradually we are seeing queues resurface at most of the filling stations. We are seeing prices of the PMS and you know escalate. Now, uh, looking at government revenues and everything that we've talked about, the sustainability, it, it's very obvious that subsidy is not sustainable. And possibly at some point, we are just waiting for the political will uh, to go ahead and, you know, to, the, the, to weather the storm of the upheavals and the unrest that will come with it from the public. But at some point, it's clear that subsidy would have to go. Now, practically, because most, most the listeners are investors, people who invest in the Nigerian stock market and all, um, once this subsidy is removed, how do you expect or what are your thoughts about how it will play out in the players in the downstream sector uh, with regards profitability, their business, and uh, what are your thoughts just generally about this? Once subsidy goes, should we expect like um, it to trickle down to the profitability of the players in the downstream sector? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, so um, at the moment, you know, it's legal to sell you know, above the prices uh, that are recommended by government, because some of the players, you know, do cloud days and, uh, you know, unofficially do these things. So, our uh, subsidy goes and, um, you know, when the sector is fully deregulated and everybody, you know, the, that is the market, you know, um, that is the market-driven mechanism, you know, for, for pricing uh, of the products and, you know, competition setting, um, you know, generally markets that have uh, markets that have, you know, that have no price control uh, tend to do well. You know, they tend to do well because, you know, it's just a reflection of, you know, price is a reflection of market. And um, everybody goes to the market. The, the most innovative guy boils down to, you know, how effective you are in cost. You know, your supply chain, you know, efficiency, your costing, your sourcing, your... So, 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 so I believe that, you know, it, 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 it will be a good signal for you know for the for the investors because they are now free you know to sell at prices that that are market effective you know and um, engender competition better competition and you know I think it should be something I mean generally investor investment you know, sectors that have no price control I, I mean are usually sectors that investors no money like okay so um I, w- I would say that would be a positive to the investor perfect so hopefully more capital will flow into you know infrastructure to make transportation of the products better once exactly. the players know that they, they can sell at a exactly. profitable exactly. price exactly i can tell at the price that you know that you know, that covers you know all my costs and you know that affects my cost and all of that yes 
Well, we sincerely hope that um, the political will to, to do the right thing comes in. Um, it's not going to be easy from the point of the mm. average Nigerian just yeah. because it's the price of almost everything will skyrocket. But hopefully, I know. yeah, hopefully investors can you know position themselves to make the most of that coming boom if the government does the right thing. Hopefully, thank you. Just before I let you go, I know I've taken quite a lot of your time. Um, I, I know writing is very very important to you. And you've written a lot of books, um, The Road to VI, and Networking Like a Pro, A Mat of Roses, a, a lot of books. In fact, I, I think you recently launched four books on the same day, on the occasion of your 40th birthday some, some months ago. Uh, how did you inculcate this habit of writing, and how have you developed along that line? I think so much once again. Uh, I started writing for my primary school, you know, it's it, it, uh, something I enjoyed doing. I can't remember how exactly, how you know, what exactly prompted me to do it. But I, I, I would say during my family school days, I used to tell papers, you know, um, write my thoughts, you know, stick them together, maybe with paper or something <laughs> or some poems, and just call it the book or something. In fact, by my Jesus wine, nineteen ninety four. Um, I and a classmate called um, Ola Isan Babalola, we formed, you know, some sort of a publishing company we called ourselves and, you know, I just write, you know, some things, put it together, I used to, to stick it together with solid books, um, my digital classes, I used to write news for the class, you know, behind the, all the gist in the class, put them down, write. So writing is just, it, it, it's just something I enjoyed, I enjoyed, uh, um, and um, with it, it, I've come a long way on it. It's not the matter of some that started today, some that started from primary school, secondary school, um, university, you know, and today I enjoy writing as well, even I don't have much time again. So, 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 so I would say it's just, you know, I just like putting my thoughts into writing. And that's also why I make a lot of social media posts, you know, it's also part of that, you know, desire, that burning desire, that will be to put my thoughts in writing. And that's also what makes me you know, someone that participates actively on social media. So it's it, it's something that I just enjoy doing. I have this kind of experience. I want to storyteller. I like enjoying. I like telling stories. And because in my in my in my initial years, you know, up to recently, I mean, I wasn't you know a, a, a decent speaker. So I felt like writing was the best way for me to put my thoughts. Since I didn't have the opportunity to even speak, or you know, you know, I wasn't that 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 guy because of my I was I, I grew up in the, you know I grew up in the quiet. Uh, for want of better word, um, local environment, and um, and I felt like okay, writing is not come with all such um, shyness and all of that, and so you know, so writing became my getaway. It's something for me to express my thoughts, you know, my opinions, my views, my teaching people things, and and I would say that's the background of my journey. So I, I will not come to my next generation. Like I have seen. We we better people. I'm not. I, I see myself as an average guy. That to be honest with you, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I know it. They all be. It's not really something that is. I, I'm still an average guy. That to be honest with you, but I enjoy writing. That's that's all I can say. I, thank I, you. I, I've read it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, sir. I've read a few of your pieces of your write-ups, and he's a regular columnist in a lot of Nigerian newspapers. Uh, but yeah, just, just before just before we you go, sir. Where can people get copies of your books? Um, should they want to 
um, you know, engage with you and read with you, read those books, glean from your experience and from your knowledge. How can listeners get a, get their hands on the books? Uh, thanks so much for that. So, uh, we are not using a conventional uh, book distribution channel because it was self published. Um, so they can just call my IP on zero eight zero three four six four two seven five zero. She is the name. Uh, zero is zero three four six four two seven five zero, which you know is in my PA. Um, you can get it from you know my small job office in Jabba, or you can get it from you know my PA can arrange how they can get it. So, um, I mean, if you, if you call that number, I'm sure they can. You can get someone that can, you know, arrange how they can get it. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much, sir. We've taken quite a lot of your time. Um. Any final thoughts just before you go about everything we've talked about, the, the, the downstream sector, anything, any final thoughts just for the retail investor listening to you, sir? Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Dr. Again. Um Okay, so, I mean, I will, I will make it personal. So, um, I will just encourage people who are doing, you know, fairly well or to just, you know, try to give back to society, encourage other people, share their story, mentor people, you know, we don't have that culture in Nigeria, everybody just sees that if you talk too much about themselves, they share that story, they guide people, if they are out there, I want this village person will become and, you know, um, you know, you know, maybe turn the side of their progress and affect them and all of that. But um, I think more people in Nigeria need to, um, you know, to come out, encourage people, you know, guide people, mentor people, and ultimately, you know, everybody, you know, the more people you are able to raise, more people you are able to support, less body on yourself. You know, I'm, I come from a family where uh, we had, you know, one person that, you know, raised more, a lot of people, a lot of children, a lot of, you know, family members, one pillar that, you know, made it for us. And uh, we are happy today that we've got six in our family. So I'm um, generally a big advocate for people trying to support and I think that culture needs to be, you know, encouraged and sustained in Nigeria so that ultimately uh people benefit and the country gets better as a whole. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you very, very much. It's a pleasure indeed having this chat and hopefully we might be able to get you back on for further discussions at some point in future if you don't mind. Not the problem, Doctor. Thank you, sir.